To be completely honest with you, uh, weather like this gets me thinking about being outside myself. Um, many of you know, it's actually come up in sermons before, uh, that I used to own a boat. Um, if I had an idol, it would have been that boat. I love being on a boat. I like to fish. And uh, one of the things about that boat is you had to put a certain type of gas in that boat. Um, if you didn't put the right type of gas in the boat, you had to treat it. It needed to be an ethanol-free gas uh, because the ethanol and the gas, if you continued to run the ethanol through the outboard, uh, what it would do, it, it, it would kind of gum everything up. And it would run for a while. Like, you could, you could do it. You could, you could run the gas without treating it, and you could put it in there. And it, it would probably get you out on the water a number of times or maybe even for, for a season. But if you keep doing that, basically it kind of gums everything up, and, and, and the, the outboard itself doesn't really like it. And so then what happens basically is you have to go get your boat fixed um, because it just, it just breaks and it's, it's, not going, it's just not going to run. I, I tell you that because many of you uh, may be kind of running on fuel or you may be driven by things in your own life that will drive you and, and it will get you going and maybe even keep you going for a time. But if you continue to run on it, uh, you will break down. There'll, there'll come a point where you'll, you'll just, you, you won't function like you should function. And we're in this series on stress. And I, I want to speak into um, basically kind of four drivers in your life. There's really probably a fifth major driver, but I'm debating on whether or not to spend a whole sermon on the fifth major driver. Um, but I want to give you four major drivers in your life that if it is your primary motivation for kind of operating um, and going about life, will wear you out and will break you down. Uh, you will feel stressed out, distressed, and, and eventually you just won't function like you should. And you'll need uh, a mechanic, one as, as good as Brad used to be. Brad owns a pizza shop now. He's not a mechanic anymore. Or as good as Eric over here and Jim. We have a lot of mechanics in our, a lot of guys. But we have drivers that are unhealthy for us. And so we're going to take a look at these drivers. Here's the first driver this morning. It's simply this, is that you can be driven by guilt. You realize that you can be driven by guilt. You can kind of operate on a day-to-day -day basis out of a sense from guilt. You can be running around and running from regrets and hiding your shame. That, that can be your, oper your mode of operation. Guilt-driven people are typically man manipulated by memories and allow their past to control their future. You can even subconsciously punish yourself, or maybe consciously punish yourself. I had a young man in my office um, not too long ago, a couple of weeks ago. Like this, this happens. He came into my office. He's got a major addiction problem, and you start to talk to him about, okay, well, why do you retreat to it? You know, we've been in a rehab a number of times, and I know there are there are so many reasons, right? We get addicted, and we have these chemical addictions to different things. But he said, often the very thing that leads me back. Right, to my addiction and, and wanting to kind of enter back into um, taking that, that, that drug is I, I, I feel guilty. I, I don't take care of my family the way I should. I have done things that I wish I would have never done in the past. And so part of his addiction is connected to his desire to actually kind of punish himself and escape from the guilt that he lives with on a day-to-day -day basis. Some of you, you, you may drink for that reason. 
You are, are trying to cover up your guilt. Or maybe you've never decided to quit smoking because of that. Or you started to do something like that be, because of that. I, I, I know a man um, who, you, very early on in his, his family life, um, he separated from his wife and kind of moved away from his, his children. And he felt extremely guilty about that. Still does feel extremely guilty about that. And never moved back and never really... Um, took responsibility for his family the way he should have or way, the way he could have because of the guilt in his own life. It, it, caused, it caused him to never be able to connect with his children the way that he wanted to, to connect with his children or to be around them in the way that he would like to be around him. Guilt has really ruined much of his life. But here's the thing. We are products of our past, but we do not have to be prisoners of it. God's purpose is not limited to your past. Everybody has done things they regret and are guilty of. And this is not something that God necessarily respects. God wants to change your life, and God wants to give you new opportunities. You think of Moses. Some of you are familiar with Moses. Moses was a murderer. He murdered a man, if you didn't know that. And we know that Moses ends up getting turned into probably one of the biggest, if not the biggest, hero in the Old Testament. You think of Gideon. Gideon was a coward. Gideon became courageous at the power of God. He was able to be changed and transformed so that under the, the, the guidance of God, his life didn't have to be lived as it was once lived in the past. You think of a man named Paul in the New Testament. Paul was a persecutor of Christians. Paul hated Christ, right? He was a blasphemer. He hated Jesus. He hated the people who followed Jesus. He was out to kill those types of people. Jesus shows up in his life and he says, Paul, no more. He says it's wrong. Jesus lets him know that you you can't operate like this anymore, but I'm going to forgive you, and I'm going to transform your life, and you're going to do great things. Next to Jesus, probably in the New Testament, there's, there's no greater figure in the New Testament probably than Paul. God specializes in forgiving people if you are driven by guilt. And if you are driven by guilt, you must forgive yourself. Psalm 32, 1 says this, Blessed is the one whose transgression is forgiven, whose sin is covered. We are told in 1 Corinthians that he who knew no sin became sin so that you might become the righteousness of God. Your sins are covered by Jesus. 1 John 1, 9 says this, if we confess our sins to him, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all wickedness. If you are somebody who's consumed by guilt, here's the good news is you are actually able to take a step closer to Jesus than a lot, that a lot of people aren't. Because actually to ever come to Jesus, to ever be a Christian to begin with, you have to recognize that you are guilty before God. And so if this is you, you, you have an opportunity to take a step towards Jesus today and to be a sincere and too, true Christian. And really the, the, your first step is simply to confess it before him. And once we're, what we're told here, if you do that, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins. If you will confess what you have done and if you will give it to God, he promises you that you are forgiven. Some of you just need to hear that, right? You are forgiven. God has forgiven you through Jesus Christ. And here's the next promise in that passage in 1 John, is he will change you. Right? Right? 
He, he, will, he will change you if you will receive his forgiveness as you confess your sin to him. You do not have to be stuck in your past. And that is, that is, that is really good news for the guilt-driven person. That you, do no, you no longer need to be driven by guilt. But not only do you need to know that God forgives you, you need to know <laughs> that you are forgiven and you have to forgive yourself. And so if you're a guilt-driven person, you have to tell yourself, I am forgiven. I am forgiven. I am forgiven. I am forgiven. Well, pastor, I can't forgive myself. God forgives you. You should forgive yourself. God is greater than you. He is. So don't be driven by guilt. If you're stuck in your past, if you're stuck in your shame, if you are self-medicating because of it, you are forgiven. Don't be guilt-driven. This next driver is similar to this, but it's kind of this driver flipped on its head. It's being driven by guilt or resentment and anger. You can be driven by resentment and anger. Now, this driver is not what you've done, but what others have done to you. Not what you've done, but what others have done to you. What you do is you play the wrongs that other people have done to you over and over and over in your head, and these wrongs control you. You are controlled by the wrongs of other people. The problem with this is that this probably hurts you more than it ever hurt that person. So the person who hurts you and right now who is so resentful, uh, this person may or may not even care. Some of you probably have that going on in your life. You're angry at somebody and you realize they don't even care. Uh, Maybe that person has forgotten about it even. And you are, you're stuck in it. You're, you're, you're stewing over it. it it's, it's what's driving you to do everything that you do. And unfortunately, it produces some really unhealthy symptoms in our life. If you are a resentment or anger-driven person, probably what, what happens is you have trouble like being in good relationships with people who you're not even angry at or want to be around and desire to be around. And so those who want to get to know you might not ever really get to know you because you hold things in. Christians know, by the way, that it's not good to be an anger, angry person, a resentful person. Uh, and so m- many of us, what we'll do if we're an anger, angry or resentful person, when we're around people, we'll just hold everything in. You just bottle everything up. You just don't say anything because our mothers told us, right, if you don't have anything nice to say, what? Don't say it at all. So, so you've just learned not to say anything, and so you never really open up to anybody. Or you, you, you know that if you're not supposed to say anything nice to somebody, you don't say anything at all, but that's just not you, right? You, I mean, you're good at just exploding at people when they make you angry. That person, you might not really be angry at that person, but somebody has made you angry, and you're living with that, right? Maybe in your past, but you blow up on the people in front of you because that is your primary driver and it ruins the relationships in your lives and it's harming you more than anybody else. And if that's the case, one of the things that you need to consider is that those who have hurt you in the past are continuing to hurt you because of you, because you are holding on to the resentment. You are allowing them to continue to cause you pain and control your life. Your past is your past and nothing will change it. So don't allow your hurt to control your future. Well, how do I do that, Pastor? 
first step is really to believe the gospel. I mean, really to believe it. Not just know it, but, but to believe it. The, the Bible is actually medicine for this message here to somebody who is driven by resentment and anger. So what do I mean by that? Well, Romans 3.12 tells us this. We have all sinned and come short of the glory of God. Now, an angry person believes other people sin, right? Other people have sinned. Other people have fallen short of the glory of God, and they have, by the way. But what the scriptures teach us is that you have sinned. You stand guilty before God. And what does this do? This actually invokes what the Bible says is God's wrath. Now, we don't talk about God's wrath a whole lot in church, right, do we? I mean, you don't hear it. A lot of pastors intentionally will never talk about God's wrath because it makes us a little uncomfortable. God being angry? God's not angry. God never get angry. God is love, right? Well, Romans 1.18 says this. God shows his anger from heaven against all sinful, against all the sinful, the wicked, the wicked people who suppress the truth by their wickedness. In other words, God gets angry at sin. This includes yours. But God's wrath has been appeased through Jesus. Romans 5.1. Therefore, since we have been made right in God's sight by faith, we have peace with God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. So Jesus offers forgiveness. He offers it to you before you receive it. God is always offering us forgiveness. Wherever we are, whatever we've done, it's there. He offers it to us. He says that you are forgiving. Will you receive it? That's what the cross is. It's God's invitation for us to receive his forgiveness. This is why in Romans 1.8 we are told, so, so, there is now, there, so there is therefore now no condemnation and those who belong to Jesus Christ. So what God is doing here, right, through the gospel, he's saying, I forgive you, will you receive it? I forgive you, will you receive it? So God does not condemn you any longer for your sin, and he didn't remove the condemnation because you did anything special for him. He removed it simply because he wants to offer you forgiveness through Jesus. And here's the expectation if you have received this forgiveness in the scriptures is that you will forgive others. That is the expectation for those who have received the salvation that Jesus Christ offers through his death on the cross and the forgiveness that is given to us by God as we accept it. This is why Jesus can tell us, you have to forgive. Right? Forgiveness is actually a command by Jesus. It's something that we have to do. But he also gives us the means or the medicine or the ability to be able to do it because we have been forgiven. Your sins and your mind may not be as great as the person who has wronged you. But we still stand guilty before God without Jesus Christ. And we can't stand in front of God without an infinite amount of forgiveness from God. And what God is asking us to do to other people or for other people and for ourselves is actually to forgive. And so if you are consumed and if you are driven by resentment and anger, please forgive. 
forgives. Forgive. You need to forgive. You have been forgiven, so forgive. Some of you are driven by fear. You can be driven by fear. Uh, sometimes traumatic experiences, unrealistic expectations, maybe a high control home, right? If we're controlled by our parents all the time, we've never had, we'd, we're scared of actually freedom. Like that's what, that's what happens when you control your kids all the time and actually get scared of, of being able to do things themselves. Genetic disposition, sometimes we just have a personality that drives us to, to be afraid. Uh, I'm reminded of the story of Chicken Little. Anybody know the story of Chicken Little? All right, some of you know the story of Chicken Little. I told my son I was going to tell the story of Chicken Little at church on Sunday, and he goes, you can't do that. It's not in the Bible. Uh, <laughs> it's pretty good. So Chicken Little is <laughs> in the woods, and she's walking around uh, in the woods, and all of a sudden an acorn falls, and it hits her on the head, and it shook her to the core. In fact, she loses half of her feathers, and she begins to shake, and she says, Oh, no, the, the sky is falling. I must go and tell the king. And so Chicken Little takes off uh, to go and tell the king that this, the sky is falling. And on her way, Chicken Little, she, she runs by Henny Penny. And Henny Penny says, where are you going, Chicken Little? What's, what's wrong, Chicken Little? And Chicken Little said, don't you know this, this, the sky is falling? We must go tell the king. And Henny Penny said, how do you know the sky is falling? And Chicken Little said, well, I heard it with my own ears and I saw it with my own eyes and, and I, I, I saw a piece of, I felt a piece of it fall on my head. And Henny Penny said, oh no, we must go and tell the king. And so they rush off to tell the king and, and on their way, Chicken Little and Henny Penny come to Ducky Lucky and Ducky Lucky says, where are you going? Such a hurry. And they said, we, we've got to go, go tell the king that the sky is falling. And Ducky Lucky said, the sky is falling? What do you mean the sky is falling? And Henny Penny said, yes, ask Chicken Little. Chicken Little said, I, the sky is falling. I, I saw it with my own eyes, and I heard it with my own ears, and, and I felt it fall, a piece of it fall on my head. And Ducky Lucky said, oh, we must go. Tell the king. And so they hurry off, and they are running, and then all of a sudden they see Goosey Lucy waddling around. And Goosey Lucy said, Henny Penny, <laughs> Chicken Little, I remember, you got to remember everybody right here. <laughs> Ducky Lucky, where are you going? And they say, haven't you heard? The sky is falling. And Ducky Lucky said, are you sure the sky is falling? And Henny Penny said, yes. Uh, Chicken Little <laughs> saw it with her own eyes, heard it with her own ears, felt it fall on our head. And Ducky Lucky said, oh, we must be going to tell the king. And so Chicken Little, Henny Penny, Ducky Lucky, Goosey Lucy run to go tell the king. And they come across Turkey, Turkey Lurkey waddling in the forest. <laughs> Turkey Lurkey asks them, where are you going? Henny Penny, Goosey Lucy, Ducky Lucky, and Chicken Little is part of the story. So have, not, have you not heard? Well, no, I haven't. The sky is falling. Well, how do you know the sky is falling? I saw it with my own eyes. I heard it with my own ears. A piece of it fell on my head. <gasps> well, we must be in a, on, our, on our way there then to go tell the king. And so... Penny Penny, Chicken Little, Ducky Lucky, Goosey Lucy, and Turkey Lurkey go off to tell the king, and they come across Foxy Loxy. Foxy Loxy asks them, well, what are you doing on this fine day? And they say, oh, it's not a fine day at all. 
Well, what do you mean it's not a fine day? Well, haven't you heard? The sky is falling. Well, no, I haven't. Well, ask Chicken Little. Chicken Little said, yes. I saw it with my own eyes. I heard it with my own ears. A piece of it fell on my head. And Foxy Loxy said, well, let me take you to the king. And so Foxy Loxy marched them through the forest and into his den. And the story ends like this. And they never saw the king to tell him the sky was falling. Fear will steal your focus. It can control your life, and it can be extremely destructive if it consumes you. The interesting thing, you know, when you're studying in the scriptures how to overcome fear, if you are a fear-controlled person, is actually the answer is love. It's kind of interesting. You would think, you know, more courage or, I don't know, or whatever it might be. Uh, But the Bible addresses it with this idea of love. In John 4.18, it says this, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. For fear has to do with punishment, and whoever fears has not been perfected in love. If you are a fearful person, if you're driven by fear, if you are scared all the time, here's what you actually need. You actually need more of God's love in your life. That's what First John is talking about. You need more of God's love in your life. What we're told is that perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment, has to do with destruction. It has to do with you being afraid that something so terrible is going to happen to you that you can't overcome it. But what we are told here in First John is that you were made for eternity and not even the worst possible thing happen, happening to you can stop God's plan for you to be with him in eternity. His love is perfect, and so what we're told is that really there is nothing to fear. I'm not saying that there are things that we, we shouldn't be cautious of, right, in our life to keep, in, keep us from our early demise or whatever that might be, right? I'm not telling you to be foolish. I'm just saying that you, you do not even have to fear death, is what the Bible is teaching us here. Right, is what God is saying is, is, I've got it. Whatever you're afraid of, I've got it. No matter how big that giant is, I've, I've got it. This morning, I didn't put this in your notes, but I was kind of reviewing the message this morning. I'm like, how did this not come to mind um, when I was writing this sermon? And um, it's Romans, Romans 8. Uh, I love this passage. Romans 8, beginning in verse 35, it says this. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor heights, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God and our Lord Jesus Christ. God promises that that you may be hurt for a moment, but nothing has the ability to destroy you if you believe that God loves you and God has a plan for your life and God is going to bring it to completion and God is going to care for you no matter what takes place place. And so if you are a person driven by fear, what you need to know this morning is that God's love is perfect for you, and he is not out to destroy you, although others may try. So I hope 
that you will receive more of God's love this morning if you are a fear-driven person. The fourth and final driver I just want to talk to you about this morning is simply this, is that you can be driven by the need for the approval of others. Right? You're going to be an approval-driven person. Maybe this is the least uh, um, uh, embarrassing driver. I, I don't know. So maybe anybody driven by this? Right? You don't have to raise your hand. Um, right? People pleasers. This is who you would be. You can allow the expectations of your parents, spouses, children, teachers, or friends to drive or control your life. If this is you, you're still trying to win the approval of others at all times. And probably what this feels like to you is a never-ending game. Uh, you're, you're a slave to the thoughts of other people. And this isn't really a way to live because it's disingenuous in many ways. Uh, the Pharisees were like this. Uh, Jesus says this to the Pharisees, right? He, he says this in Matthew 6. Um, where he actually doesn't say this to the Pharisees. He says this about the Pharisees. Um, he says this to his disciples. He says, watch out. Jesus says, watch out. Don't do your good deeds publicly to be admired by others, for you will lose your reward from your Father in heaven. When you give to somebody in need, don't do it as the hypocrites do, blowing trumpets in the synagogues and streets to call attention to, your, to their acts of charity. I tell you the truth, they have received the, their reward, the reward that they will ever get. So the Pharisees here, or the people who are driven by approval, what you're doing is you're trying to impress people, but your hearts aren't really in it, right? Your hearts aren't in the thing that you're trying to do. So if you're trying to impress other pe people by our good acts or, or works of charity or whatever they might, might be, um, but if our hearts aren't really in it, it it's, it's really a difficult thing to do. Um, over and over again because we're not doing it out of love for God, but we're doing it um, because we want others to say, good job, good job. And every time we don't get that, right, we're, 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 we are um, very disappointed by it. Jesus actually calls these types of people whose hearts are in it, he calls it, he calls it hypocrites. Now, hypocrite is just really another Greek word for actor. That's all it is. I've taught this before, right? It's, it's a person in the Greek theater that they used to wear a mask. And that's what they just called them. They called them hypocrites. It wasn't really a derogatory term at the time. It was just that's what they were and that's what they did. And so the people who are people pleasers, basically you're kind of an actor all of the time or you're an impersonator all the time and you're trying to impersonate whoever you, who, the, the type of person that you need to be around whoever you're around at the time um, so that you're performing all the time. And what Jesus says, if you get the yay from them, what you're getting is the best reward that you will ever receive. And if you're a people pleaser, you know that you actually feel empty a lot of the time because um, people's praises only last for so long. Like you're only satisfied by the praise of others for a very limited short, of, short period of time. And so it's, it's, a very, it's a very draining life. It's a very difficult life. And it's very difficult to perform all the time. And so this, if this is you, what you need is, is not like more of God's love necessarily. Um, it may be a good thing, but you actually need to love God more. You, you need to love God more. Because well, if, you're, if you're a people pleaser, you love the praises of other people. What you need is you need, you need to love God in such a way where you are just living for him. Uh, this, is, this is the fault of the Pharisees, is they weren't living for him. They were living for the praises of other people. And Jesus says, no, don't do that. 
live for the praise of God. Live for the one who already loves you, who, who is telling you, right? I, I don't love you, by the way, based on your performance. I, 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 I love you because I love you. That's, that's what God is telling you. So be the type of genuine person that lives out of that love, that lives from it, not for it. And this, this is, this, according to the gospel, right, according to the Bible, is actually the very thing that will help you to be a consistent person. If you are just living from God's love and, and you know that you love him more than anything else, this will actually change your life if you just have that one driver and it's the love of God. So I hope if you are driven by trying to appease people and live for other people that you will love God among, above all else. So here's how I want to conclude this message this morning. I just want to remind you all, if you are driven by guilt, I want you to remember this morning that you have been forgiven. If you are driven by resentment and anger, remember that the only way for you to be healed is to forgive. If you are driven by fear, perfect love drives out all fear, and you need more of God's perfect love. If you are driven by approval, love God more. Love God more than those people you are trying to approve, to, to get approval from. Let us pray. Father, this morning we give you thanks because you are good. You are so good to us. And we pray, Father, although we are, some of us are born with these unhealthy drivers, some of them are given to us as we go about life. I pray, Father, that we do not run on these things that drive us that are not from you. I pray, Father, that you remove guilt from our lives and that you remind us that we have been forgiven through your son, Jesus Christ, and that we know we can be forgiven because of what he's done for us on the cross. Father, I pray that if we are driven by resentment or anger, that you remind us of the gospel, that you do not resent us, that you are not angry towards us, Father, but that you have completely forgiven us and that we can live out of that forgiveness and that gives us the faith that you deliver the person who lives out of resentment and out of anger. I pray that you remove that from their heart and from their life. Father, so many of us can be driven by fear. It can keep us from doing the very things that you have called us to do and the people that you have called us to be. It keeps us from opportunities that you have laid before us. Father, I pray that you remind us of your perfect love. That no matter what comes our way, that you love us and that you promise good to us. Yes, there may be hardships. Yes, there may be trials. Yes, there may be difficulties. But we do not have to fear them if you are with us. And so, Father, we pray that we are reminded that you love us and that nothing can separate us from that love. So, therefore, there is nothing to fear. Father, we can be driven by our approval from others. I pray, Father, that you allow us to put the expectations of even the people that we love very much, our parents, maybe spouses, children, teachers, friends. I, I pray, Father, that these expectations don't control our lives. Father, but that you do. Our love for you controls our lives. 
We know that our relationships will get better with our parents, our spouses, our children, teachers, friends, whoever they might be. Father, if we are controlled by our love for you above all else, we pray that we believe that this morning. And so we pray that all of us love you more. We thank you that you have given us a reason to love you. We thank you that you sent love to earth, Jesus Christ, who went to the cross for our sins and yet rose on the third day to remind us that we are infinitely loved and that we are meant to be with you who loves our souls in eternity. And so we give you thanks for this and we love you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.